some of you know, not long ago, uh, we traveled to uh, Dallas, Texas for the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Uh, myself and Pastor Joby, and we went along with Pastor Jay Watkins from Redland Baptist, and we had a great week, a uh, great time together, and the conference was great. One of the evenings out, we went to a place called Chewy's. And I'd never uh, been to uh, a place called Chewy's before, but let's just say we chewed down on some uh, Mexican Southwest uh, style food. And Joby said, hey, man, the sauce is really good here. You're going to really like it. And we did. After three baskets of chips and three bowls, um, when our food came out, we thought, man, we made a mistake and we're not even going to be able to eat our food. But we went for it. And when we walked out, I felt myself on the verge of repentance of gluttony. Um, and we were absolutely full. And I'm not kidding about that part. And then Joby says, hey, would you guys like to go see uh, the campus of SMU, Southern Methodist University? I thought, yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, is, is it right nearby? He said, yeah, it's, it's, it's right down the street. I said, so we don't need to call Uber or anything. I told you I fell in love with Uber. We don't need to call Uber or anything like that. He said, no, just, just walk down the street. It's, it's right there. So, okay, so no map needed. Uh, we're trusting Joby on this one. So we get down to the end of what I thought he was talking about the street, and we had to turn left or right. And what we see before us is not SMU. And he says, well, it's, it's got to be right around this building over here to the left. Surely it's there. So we get around the building over to the left. Guess what? No SMU. And he says, well, we just got to keep walking. And he says, it's just a short distance. It's really not that far. Have in mind, I mean, we are not dressed for a brisk walk on an evening. And so finally... We see SMU in the distance after a mile and a half walk. And Joby says, here it is right here. This is exactly where I knew it would be. Really what happened is I think Joby's memory was failing him a little bit. And he thought through his experience that he knew that it was right around the corner, but it was a little bit further than what he expected. But all in all, we made good memories. And some people looked at us strangely as we were walking uh, that evening. Uh, but it's all good. My point is this, that when we look to Samson. He kind of had a similar experience in that he thought he knew where he was and that he didn't need a map. He didn't need to look down at Google Maps to say, hey, where am I? And am I in the right position? But no, he just went based on his experience, what felt right. And so if you could just imagine that as we were reading the scriptures today and we're looking into the life of Samson, just imagine that he has put down the map and he said, I don't need a map, much like many of us when we travel. I don't need a map. I don't need Google Maps. I know where I'm going. I've been here before. And it takes us a few extra turns to get there. But yet these turns lead to a destructive end. And I want us to take heed of this because our map is the word of God. And when it comes to living our lives, we cannot afford to put down the map. We must hold the map. We must embrace the map. We must memorize the map. We must hide the map in our hearts so that we can follow God's instructions. So if you're taking notes, which I would highly encourage you to do today, uh, you can write at the top, God's instruction frees us from compromise. God's instruction, and we're talking about his word, frees us from compromise. Now, when I mentioned the word compromise, there are some good ways in which we can compromise. Uh, say that you and a friend or a spouse uh, are talking about plans for Friday evening. 
And, you, and one of you says, hey, you know, I would really like to go out to a movie. I think that would be a great experience. And the other of the party says, you know what? I, I don't mind a movie. I just don't want to go out and be around a bunch of people. And you say, okay, well, we need to find a compromise. A good compromise would say, what kind of movie can we find here at home to watch? And you say, hey, that's a great idea. We'll order some pizza. We'll have some popcorn. We'll have a great evening. That's a good compromise. So when we're talking about compromise, it's not always a bad thing. But there is a bad compromise. Because see, in that story that I just told you about where you're trying to make a decision and you, and you come to an agreement, it's two imperfect people, two sinful people. You, you have your own ideas, you have your own initiative, your own drive, but yet when it comes to us and God, you have one who is imperfect and one who is perfect. And it doesn't take much to understand who is perfect and that is God. And so when we come before God and he has his plan laid out for us, there is no room for compromise and saying, God, can't you just kind of change your plan a little bit? And so when it came to Samson, he was to abide by the Nazarite vow. In fact, his mother did. Uh, when she was told that he must be raised under the Nazarite vow, I mean, she took to it herself. And so three things that are, are mentioned with, uh, under this vow. Uh, one is that he was not to touch anything unclean like a dead body. He was not to become drunk on any strong drink or wine, and he was not to cut his hair. And so if he were to look at this, Samson could say, you know what, is it okay if I touch a dead body as long as it has, say, honey among the carcass? I mean, surely I could touch a dead body then. Or is it okay to become drunk if I throw a feast like all young men do? I mean, come on, God. I mean, Young men throw feasts these days when you go to get married and, and with the feast, you, you've got to have much wine. And so could he have entered into a point of drunkenness and, and compromise on that fact? Or when it comes to his hair, God, are you really saying that I can't cut my hair? At least let me have it medium linked or shave the sides and don't touch the back or, you know, business in the front, party in the back. But there's no room for compromise. And we're going to see the end path of compromise after one compromise, after another compromise, after another compromise. And feeling that, God says, it's okay because it's you. You get what I'm saying? It's okay because it's you. It's okay because it's me. I, I can compromise because it's me. It's me, God. You, you know me. You know my, you know my heart. And I think this is where Samson failed greatly because it wasn't okay just for him. In fact, God has a righteous decree, has a righteous standard in which he alone can meet, but he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live according to his commands. And so if you will, follow with me in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 14. If uh, you do not have a Bible, if you'll look right there in front of you, there should be a pew Bible. And if you want to shortcut your way to it, it's page 214. And much like last week, uh, when we looked at being unequally yoked, we're going back to the same passage, Judges 14 through 16. So we're going to skim over a lot of it, but I'm going to be reading from many of the verses here, and I want you to follow along with me. So you're not going to see a lot of these verses up on the screen. We're going to bury our faces into God's word, and may we be grateful for it. And so let's look at Samson's compromise in Judges 14, 3, a reminder once again for us, if you weren't here last week, that he says, you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. 
It's the question of his parents because he says, hey, go and get this woman for me from the Philistines. But Samson said to his father, get her for me for she is right in my eyes. And then in Judges 14, seven, then he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. So what, what is going on here? He says, I want a spouse from a people that is not of the people of God. They're, they're not under the covenant of God, but you know what? She's right in my eyes. And so I don't mind intermixing with her. And then in Judges 14, eight, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold, there's a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Now I want to pause right there because every time we see an encounter of a human being with a lion on those videos that you may see on YouTube, it does not end well for the human. It does not. But in this case, when this lion comes charging at Samson, he was empowered by the spirit of the Lord and he killed the lion with his hands. That is impressive. And I get why Samson would want to go back because he's probably in disbelief himself. He killed this lion, he walks away, and then he goes back to kind of look at the evidence and go, yep, I did, I, I killed that lion. It's quite amazing. He's fascinated with his success. And as he goes back, he notices that there's some honey within the lion and he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. But catch this. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. And so not only did he go against the vow, but he deceived his parents into eating as well. And may we take note here that our compromising does not only just affect us, it affects our families. It affects our spouses. It affects our kids. It affects our friends. We're foolish to think that our sins only affect our own lives. No, it impacts the ones around us. Judges 14, 10, his father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. So he has to do what all the young men do. And it is here believed that he entered into a time of drunkenness. And when you look at the decisions that he makes after that, it makes sense. But then in Judges 16, one, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. And in Judges 16, four, he set his sights on Delilah, which ultimately led to the shaving of his hair. It was one compromise after another compromise after another compromise. It's, it's, it's that going into a decision saying, you know what, it's not, it's not that big of a deal if I marry a woman from a different tribe or a different people group. It's not that big of a deal if I just take a little bit of honey and scrape it from the carpet, carcass. I mean, honey is good, right? I mean, I should have something that's good. I should deserve this. I mean, after all, I slayed that lion. And yet one compromise led to another compromise. But let me show you something that's very beautiful in this text is that in the midst of Samson's compromising, God is still at work. So here's what we all together need to understand this morning, that we will enter into a time of compromise. That's why we're receiving this word. So we'll be strengthened not to fall into that compromise. But even in our compromising, it does not limit who God is. God is still at work. He is still almighty. He is still all powerful. He is still holy. It does not diminish any of that. And in Judges 14, four, his father and mother, did not know that it was from the Lord in the point when he was asking to marry a woman of the Philistines. For he was speaking or seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. 
At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So what we see here is the sovereignty of God at work because he's gonna put his servant in the midst of the Philistines. But yet try to wrap your mind around this. He allows Samson the freedom to act. And in all of Samson's decisions, when it seems that he is out of control and he is, God is still establishing his purpose. And that's what we see here in the book of Judges 14 through 16. And so God's provision is established in the midst of disobedience. Follow with me. Judges 14, six, when he comes upon the young lion. Here the young lion comes toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. How did he tear this young lion apart? By his own strength? No, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then in Judges 14, 19, he has to face 30 men, those 30 men, his companions that he brought to the party. And yet they figured out the riddle and he gets upset with them. And it all breaks out in Judges 14, 19, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ascalon and struck down the 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. How did he strike down 30 men? Because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. But if 30 men's not enough, how about a thousand men? Judges 15, 14 through 16, when he came to Lai, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it and with it struck a thousand men. Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. How did he kill a thousand men? Because using the jawbone of a donkey is a deadly weapon? Was that his advantage? Or because he was just stronger than these men? No, in the midst of his compromising, the spirit of the Lord continues to work against the Philistines. And then he becomes thirsty. And Judges 15, 18 through 19, and he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and said, you've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lai. And the father came out from it and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Hekor. It is at Lehi into this day. And so, yes, he gives glory to the Lord, but yet he also complains. Many times we find ourselves there. We, we give glory to the Lord in the midst of our complaining. So God is good to provide for him. And when we would say when he does not deserve it, can't we all agree there that God provides for us many times when we know we do not deserve it. And so what is the result? We must understand the result before we go any further. From one compromise to another, it ends in destruction. So listen here, when you begin to make decisions and you think this is only one decision and it does not impact any other decision, know that one decision builds upon the next decision upon the next decision. 
are compromising matters. Judges 16, 20, Delilah says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. This is a sad verse in the midst of this whole narrative because Samson had fallen to the lie that it was his strength all along that was providing for him. Yeah, God's important. God is good. It's good to call upon God at certain times, but really I can do this. That's where his compromise led him to. And in this moment, when he gets up and he is ready to go do battle, he realizes I'm weak because God was no longer with him. What does that mean that the spirit of the Lord was no longer empowering him to defeat the Philistines? And in Judges 16, 21, the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. And then in 1625, and when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. Not willingly, he was forced. They made him stand between the pillars and the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there and on the roof, there were about 3000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. This is not where Samson wanted to end up. He was to be a judge for Israel, a good judge to help deliver them from the Philistines. And now he is in the midst of a Philistine party, thousands of them all around being entertained by this man who had his eyes gouged out. They put him in the role of a, a, a woman, and that is of no disrespect, but really when you, ground at the, when you grind at the mill, that was a woman's position in that time. And so you think of a mighty warrior who's now at the mill, and yet he's lost his influence. He's lost his manhood. He's no longer seen as this strong warrior and everybody's laughing at him. That's where he finds himself, right in the midst of the Philistines. But yet, God's plan all along was that he was going to use Samson. But what is the problem with Samson's life? He did not control his impulses. That impulse to act, he did not control them. And one compromise led to another, which means that he governed his life based on human impulse while rejecting godly instruction. So what do we learn here in Judges, most especially in Samson's life, that human impulse is fueled by our apathy. And this is what it leads us to say, that God's instruction does not always apply to me. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you say, hey, let's take it to the Bible. And they say, hey, don't you do that. Uh -uh, let's not go to the Bible for this. What are they saying? The Bible does not apply to me. I am above that authority. How dare you bring that type of authority upon my life? And we're not talking about people who would say that they're not Christians. We would say these are people who profess to know Christ. And so apathy is saying, you know what? It doesn't apply to me right now. 
You know, the call to, to be on mission doesn't apply to me. The call to live a life on purpose for his purpose, for me being here, doesn't apply to me right now. That applies to everybody else, but it does not apply to me. You don't understand. It's me we're talking about. That's what goes through our minds when we look at compromise and reacting from our impulse. And it's due to this apathetic fueled impulse led to the touching of a dead body, drunkenness, cutting his hair, intermixing with foreign women, being stumbling blocks to his parents, leading to a life of vengeance, receiving glory for himself. Our human impulse is fueled by our apathy, leading to great compromise. So here's a question that we must ask ourselves today. Are we living by human impulse or godly instruction? The decisions that you make for your everyday life, are they, by, are they by your human impulse? Hey, I am living, doing whatever I wanna do, however I feel like it. And as we were praying earlier for the country that we are most blessed to live in, you can live that way. There are a lot of things that you can do on your own, unaffected by other people, led by your own impulse. It's the same way when we live our lives and we go, you know what, man, it's been an awfully long time since I've opened up the word of God. I'll get around to it later. And we look to the word of God as maybe something that super Christians do, the extra spiritual people do. But I'm a Christian, I know God, Jesus loves me and that's enough. But yet what that leads us to do is act out of our impulse, whatever feels right, not what is right according to his instruction. And so are we living by human impulse or godly instruction? Because all of us are tempted to believe our human impulse that God's instruction does not matter in this particular moment or season or problem or person. Teenagers, I was speaking to you last week about not being unequally yoked. And this, is, this message again is so important for you guys because you're thinking, hey, I'm young and I'm gonna make some decisions that are foolish, but you know what? Then I'll get older and everything will be okay. Do you know that you can make decisions right now that impact the rest of your life? So it matters the decisions that you make today. As we looked at last week, it matters about the relationships that we're involved in and not just a marriage, but our friendships. Who do you find uh, to be your companions? Who do you surround yourself with? Who do you live life with? Are these people who point you to Christ and do you point them to Christ or do you find them pulling you back and you pulling them back? It also comes to things like what we watch on a screen, what we see in our own privacy. And we say, you know what? It's okay this one time. But the problem is that's been said a hundred times before. One compromise to another compromise. Oh, this would never filter out into any other area of my life. I'm good about keeping things private, but yet it will lead to destruction. It could be the attitude. It could be being quick to anger, being quick to act when you're inconvenienced or when somebody does you wrong. There's a, a wrath that comes from you. Why? Because you're acting out of impulse, not from the spirit, not being governed by the word. It could be that a type of drug that you're hooked on right now or the abuse of alcohol 
And you're thinking, you know what, but I can control this. I've had people tell me before, you know what, it's okay. I know you don't do this, Brian, but I can do this and, and I can control it. The thing is, there's great responsibility in that when it comes to what you drink. And you know what? Maybe you can control it and it can be done for the glory of God. And maybe that just shocks you in the room today because you think that's not impossible or that, that, that's not possible. But yet the sad thing is, is there are many substances that we can go to. Why? Because of our impulse, we need it. We see that the word of God is not enough to fulfill the longings within us or materialism. You, it's that, you know, it used to be click and save, click and save, click and save, click and save for you. And you were thinking, oh man, this would be great. Now it's turned into click and buy, click and buy, click and buy, click and buy. And you cannot click and buy enough things. You're hoping that there's something that will just fill that void in your life. What is all this led by? Our impulse. And how do we fall into this trap of being led by our impulse? Christians, how do we fall into this trap when we isolate ourselves? when we do it alone. You see, Samson was a one-man show. He's the one who went out and did battle. He, he didn't call upon the Lord. Notice in his battles, go back and read this in, Genesis, uh, in Judges 14 through 16. Anytime he goes out to do battle, he does not take anybody with him. I got it all by myself, guys. It's good. I've got this. Don't worry. And he began to believe this, that all he needed was himself. Have you convinced yourself that all you need is you? Maybe you're here today, but you found yourself isolating yourself from other people. You're lacking accountability. And can I speak to this just in brief is that when we talk about accountability and discipleship, we're not just talking about how much you can learn from somebody else. Discipleship is not just you sitting under somebody who can teach you all that they know. No, discipleship is one person to another. Every man that I meet with and I sit across from, I learn just as much from them as they learn from me. It's praying for each other. It's being able to go to somebody and being able to confess to them that this week, you know what, I did not control what I looked at. You know, this week I spoke out in anger against my kids and I need you to pray for me. You know what? Spouse and I, we're having some trouble right now and I really need you to pray for us. I really need you to kind of speak into the situation, if you will. Or, you know, at work, I am being tempted to compromise in this area and I really need you to just give me a call during the week and remind me, will you do that? That's what we need. And see, when we fail to have that and when we distance ourselves one from another, we find ourselves easily going to follow our impulse. So the ultimate problem with Samson was not his hair, but his heart. So when you look back to Judges and you go, what was it? Samson? Oh, he cut his hair and that's where he became weak. No, no, no. It was in his heart long before it was ever in his hair. The problem was in his heart. Proverbs 18 verse one says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So what areas in your life are off limits? What areas would you dare not allow any other person to probe into, to dissect, to ask you questions? You say, no, 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 don't you go there. It is good that we say, hey, how are you? Good to see you, brother. We shake hands. 
We share a Bible study together, but do not ask me anything personal. What areas are those? Because whatever area in your life is off limits, that is exactly the area that the enemy is destroying. Beware. You see, we need Jesus and we need the church. It's not enough to say, hey, I follow Jesus and I can do this on my own. No, you cannot do this on your own. It was never meant for you to do this on on your own. That's why Jesus died for the church, bringing the church together so we can encourage one another. We need each other. So not only do you need Jesus, you need the church because it's when we are alone that we convince ourselves that God is stealing our life from us, that he is taking our fun from us, that we deserve more than this. But when the church gathers together, we rejoice in the truth. And in rejoicing in the truth, we're saying this indeed is freedom. This is what sets us free to truly live. But when we distance ourselves from that, we begin to follow our impulse to say, no, what the way to truly live is to just follow my own desires. It's not in your hair, it's in your heart. And so we need to flee. We need to flee these impulses that we have. And when we're talking about impulse, ultimately this is fueled by our sin, our sinful inclinations. And so fleeing sin is always possible. I hope you hear that today. Fleeing sin is always possible, but it's not always easy. It's not always easy. All of a sudden you allow your thoughts to take you somewhere where you should not go. And you wanna shut it off, but you're finding yourself unable to shut it off. And all of a sudden you say, you know what? What's it matter? I should be treated better than I'm being treated. It's okay if I let my thoughts wander into this area. It's not easy, but it is possible. And so if you're in a point right now in your life where you're going, you know what? I don't want to submit to these impulses. I don't want to compromise. It is hard. Understand that it is possible, but it's not always easy. So it's important for us to understand that God's instruction, his word leads us to do what God makes possible. So when I used to go on dates in high school, um, I went on a few and my student pastor told me, he said, hey, when you go on a date, there's a sure way that you will not fall to temptation. I said, what is it? Tell me. He said, take your Bible and put it right there in the middle of you guys when you drive in the car, right there on the console. And so I did. And you know what? Man, I'm telling you now, I grew up in a legalistic background, but that was some good advice. Because every time a conversation could have gone somewhere, I mean, the Bible was right there. And it's hard to reach across the word of God to fall into an impulse. But you know, that's not enough. We really have to hide God's word in our hearts if we are to overcome these impulses. And I appreciate godly advice. I appreciate, listen, I appreciate uh, a pastor who poured into my life. And you know what he told me one day? He said, don't, don't you spend time praying with that young lady. And I said, what are you talking about? Man, I, I, I could marry that girl one day. I mean, everybody I dated when I was young, I thought I was gonna marry him. 
I was that kind of guy, you know, sappy, gross. I mean, I would have fallen for all those chick flicks, right? You know, go back and listen to this. And that was not in my notes. I just shared with you, but I said, why did I say that? But I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I cannot believe I just shared that, but here it is. A pastor, he told me, he said, don't pray. Don't pray for those ladies. Don't, don't spend time in prayer along with them because your heart will lead you astray in the midst of praying. And I thought, man, that's, that's good advice. And I, I wanna pass that on to you guys. I know that our desire may seem good at first, but young teenagers, those of you in the room who are pursuing marriage, save that praying until either you are engaged or until you are married because the emotions of the heart are so wicked that they can even stir in the midst of, of praying in a, in a male and a female right there beside each other. You see, it is easy, even in the midst of praying, to be led astray. And so what do we do? God's instruction leads us to do what God makes possible, but it's our human impulse which leads us to do what's easiest. So whatever's easy in the moment, that's what we want. That's what we go for. By not fleeing, Samson lost everything. By not fleeing Delilah, by not fleeing the prostitute, by not fleeing the young woman in the beginning, he lost everything, one compromise to another. And there are things in our lives which we must deal with and sometimes in drastic ways if we are going to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. There are some really hard decisions that you may have to make today, tomorrow, in the coming weeks if you're truly going to abide by his word. Your lifestyle may change drastically. Your leisure activities may change. It may even be your job. There are sometimes we need to act in a drastic way to get away from the compromise because if we don't get away from it, it will destroy us. Fleeing is difficult, but it is necessary. And you can only flee when your eyes are looking to Jesus. And so it is necessary if we are to live according to God's word, his instruction that we reject our human impulse. But what if you're here today and you're saying, but you know what, I feel like I've kind of gotten away with things. And I feel like I'll continue to get away with this because nothing's happened to me so far. I feel safe in my disobedience. I think Samson felt safe in his disobedience. So the question is, are we really getting away with it or has God taken his hand of protection off of us? We revisit the verse where he says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He felt safe but he was in great danger because the Lord had taken his hand of protection off of Samson. You see, the truth could be that right now you feel safe, but you're in great danger because God has taken his hand of protection off of you because one compromise to another compromise to another compromise to another compromise to finally he takes that hand of protection off, which leaves us fully exposed to our impulses and to the consequences. Before I get to Proverbs, let me just tell you this. We, we wanna talk about our enemies. And many times when we talk about our enemies, we are quick to look outward before we look inward. 
We are our greatest enemy. You are your greatest enemy. I am my greatest enemy. We face ourselves every day, our flesh, our impulse. That's what we're getting at here in Samson. Samson was his greatest enemy and he's facing the consequences. Why? Because God loves him. Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12.6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. You see, God still worked in the midst of Samson's impulses and his compromising, but because he loved him, he disciplined Samson. In the same way, because he loves us, he will discipline us. So, so where do we go to avoid this impulse? We go to the word of God. And, and if I may encourage you this week, could you just write down Psalm 119? Would you this week read Psalm 119? You can read through it every single day if you like, or you can just take a little bit at a time throughout the week. But here's what I encourage you to observe in Psalm 119. Guests, you're here today and you're going, man, I didn't know we'd have homework. This is good homework. Psalm 119, notice in every verse, it exalts the word of God. Every verse, delighting in the law of God, for it is good, his word. And it's when we come to the word and we delight in him that we are delighting in his presence. This past week, we were flipping through YouTube. Uh, many times we, we watch these little snippets, little videos. Curry and I were watching one on carpool karaoke, James Corden. Um, yeah, somebody said, yes, that's awesome. Um, one was with Paul McCartney recently. And so they went back to his hometown and as they were riding around, they saw Paul McCartney's original home. And before they could even get back out of the home, a crowd had gathered uh, to shake hands and take pictures. And, and honestly, I'm like, I had no idea that Paul McCartney was that famous. I just didn't. I mean, I know the Beatles, okay, they're awesome, but I just, I, I, I didn't get it. I'm going, it's Paul McCartney. And, they're like, and Curry's like, no, you don't understand how um, much this means to the people there in his hometown. And so then they went to the Philharmonic dining rooms and there, was a, there were only a few people sitting at tables. And all of a sudden, James Corden walks in and he says, hey, somebody go play a song on the jukebox. And as they put in their money and pressed the song, it was a Beatles song. And all of a sudden, the curtains fly open and there is Paul McCartney with his band. I mean, you got to pay good money for this. And yet maybe 30 people are there in the pub and there's Paul McCartney singing and people stand up and they start clapping and they're videoing. And then you see people in the streets hearing the music and they begin to run in. I mean, as many as they will take, people pile in and they're having their own little concert now of about 75 people in the room. And he's playing one song after another song after another song. And there's uh, kind of some frosted windows it's kind of like these that we have in the room. And all you could see behind the stage in these frosted windows is people's faces smashed up against the window with their phones trying to record because they couldn't get inside. Why? Because they wanted to be in his presence. And there was one lady as she was listening. I mean, she was pouring out tears like people used to do at Michael Jackson's concerts. And she's bawling. And I said, wow, I mean, it, it, it almost brought me to tears. And I know that sounds really sappy. I'm being really sappy with you guys today, but, but it's because she was in his presence. 
And I could not help, but when we turned that off, I thought, Jesus, am I like that with you? That every day when I wake up, I am in your presence. And you want me to be in your presence. You see, it's when we, we turn to somewhere like Psalm 119 and we begin to read just the love of the word, it draws us into the presence of God. He becomes the reality, not our impulse. You see, we need the map in our hands. We can't afford to live life without the map in our hands. And you know what? We don't, we don't redraw the lines in the map either. The map is set. God's word is good. The ultimate authority. And so in looking to God's word, what is the beauty that we see in this story of destruction? Is there's restoration. Yes, there is destruction all around us. There's destruction in our own lives, but there is restoration. Judges 16, 22, while he was in prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Nobody took notice of it, no big deal because he's weak now. We've gouged out his eyes, he's no threat. Judges 16, 28, then Samson called to the Lord and said, oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Yes, remember me so I can pay them back, Lord. So maybe it's not completely pure, but he's calling upon the Lord. And in Judges 16, 29, in the midst of the mockery, as Samson is quote unquote, entertaining the people in his blindness, he finds two pillars and he pushes against them and the house falls upon him and he kills more Philistines that day than it ever killed. So we understand not to be led by our impulse, but to hold to the instruction. So in conclusion, you see, Samson delivers when he is in a most vulnerable position. He was a blind prisoner surrounded by thousands of his enemies, all mocking and jeering him. This is a most impossible situation for him to take down the great Philistine lords. But by God's grace, he destroyed them. So even in this story of compromise and Samson falling short again and again, although he is a judge, there is a glimmer of Christ to be found here. For see, Jesus came to the most unlikely of places and that being this earth. And he took on human flesh and surrounded himself with thousands of enemies. That being all those who reject God. And in the midst of mocking and jeering, it seems that his claim to be the son of God was false. In the most impossible situation, grace abounds. Through his death on the cross, he took down Satan, the God of the air, by shedding, by the shedding of his blood, Jesus destroyed Satan's ability to condemn the church whom Christ died for. That's what Christ came to do. And so at the end of this story of Samson, when we read it and what we could always remember is that when he pushes against those pillars and the house comes down, 
we can remember that there is one who went between two crosses. And what he did there brought the house down against Satan. Yes, Jesus died, but he rose again. And in Christ, you can trust him to lead you in overcoming your impulse so that you can abide by his instruction. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When you're tempted by your impulse, call upon the one who is most triumphant. So in conclusion, we will struggle with our impulses, but by God's grace, we are free to take hold of God's instruction. God's instruction points us to Jesus and it's Jesus who frees us from compromise. So as you face this week a compromising situation, after what we have heard and what we see in Scripture, may you be encouraged that you don't look at that compromising as freedom, but it's slavery. But you look to Jesus, and you know that in Jesus we are set free. And that brings us to our time of communion before us, uh, we have bread in a basket, which represents the body of Jesus Christ, who lived for us a perfect life that none of us could live. And yet he placed himself upon the cross. He willingly died for us, not to pay off, uh, not to pay off Satan as a ransom, but to abide by the Father's will so that he could pay for our sin and he took his body, he went upon the cross, he was beaten and he died. But this body, when you take this bread and you have it in your hand, you are reminded that he has risen and not only is he risen, but he will indeed return. May this be an encouragement today when you take the bread in your hand and when you dip into the cup and that representing the blood of Jesus Christ, you were reminded that his blood was poured out for the remission of sins. And that because of him pouring out his blood, your sins are washed away. Do we still struggle with sin? Yes, but is sin still our master? No. Christ has defeated sin. And in Christ, we have victory. And so as we come to communion, I once again encourage you to to come reflecting upon the cross, but also remembering that he will return. If, if this is your first time receiving communion, uh, but you are a follower of Jesus Christ and, and you've been faithful in following it in, in baptism, we, we're excited for you to come. But if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would uh, warn you not to come and eat of this table because this is for the followers of Christ. That may sound pretty haughty, what I just said, but I don't mean it that way, I promise your greatest need is Jesus. And we would point you to Jesus first, seeing that there is no way to overcome your impulse, to overcome your sin in and of yourself. You must die to yourself and trust in Jesus, which means that going before the Lord, confessing that you are a sinner and that he is Lord and that he paid for your sins. It would be a beautiful thing to meet with you during the time of communion. If you say, hey, I wanna know more about following Jesus. Will you talk to me about following Jesus? Absolutely, we'd love that opportunity. And it is available. But if you're a follower of Christ and you have some type of sin in you that you are well aware of that you're holding on to and you're compromising and, and you're not going to let go of it at this time, 
do not come and eat of this table, but get that right before the Lord. Confess it before the Lord and come and eat and be encouraged. But let us not take this table lightly. And it's important that every time we come to the table that we're reminded of the seriousness of coming because of what Christ did for us. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer. And as we pray, I would just ask that you would pray this, Lord. Would you just examine my heart? As I examine my heart, will you reveal anything to me that I need to confess at this time? And that you would spend that time in prayer before the Lord. May it be sweet before you you come and eat. If there's anything that we can help you with, myself and other pastors, we will be available. You can also find us right after the service. But as you come, uh, you can come down to the middle aisle here or these aisles on the outside, and this will be made available to you. So let us pray. Ask God's blessings upon this time of Lord's Supper. And then I'd ask our men to come and receive, and then we will open it up. Father, thank you that we can come to the table. And as we come to the table, we're reminded of the great work in which Christ has accomplished for us. Lord, we thank you for the bread. We partake of this bread, not remembering us, but remembering Christ. For we fail, but Christ did not fail. When he is tempted, he abided by the instructions, which were good. Father, thank you that we can trust in Christ who has conquered all. And we thank you for this cup, which represents the blood of Christ, which cleanses us. Every day we can rejoice in being cleansed by Christ. So, Father, as we come, may we come with hearts of gratitude and thankfulness. And, Lord, bless this time, this meal that we receive together as the church. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.